The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. As we just continue as a church to walk through the Gospel of Luke, we are in Luke chapter 11. If you have not been able to be with us for the last two weeks, we have just come out of a section where Jesus has really taught us what it means to pray. And he started by answering a question from one of his disciples. They walk up to him, and with great humility, they say, hey, can you teach us how to pray like you pray? And Jesus responds with what we call the Lord's Prayer. He taught them a prayer to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he he goes on from there. And I feel like the disciples received that very well. And I know that we as a church have been encouraging you to pray through that, not only the Lord's Prayer, but just to engage in prayer, knowing that it unlocks the power of God. Last week, we saw in Luke chapter 11 that another disciple comes up and goes, hey, does prayer actually work? Like you taught us what to say, but we're just, if we just keep saying that and we don't see any action, does prayer actually work? And Jesus goes, oh, yes, yes, let, let me explain. Uh, my heavenly father, he, he wants you to shamelessly and audaciously pursue him. He wants you to keep knocking. He wants you to keep asking. He wants you to keep praying. He wants to know that you desire that conversation with him. And we as a church, we believe that prayer unlocks the power of God. We we know that it does. And so if you have something that you would like us to pray for you, to pray with you, to pray about someone else that you know, if you would go to summitonline.tv forward slash prayer, You can submit that prayer request and know that there are people who will confidentially pray for you, believing, believing that God is going to move on behalf of you or those that you're lifting up. Because prayer does unlock the power of God. And as we transition now in Luke chapter 11, we see a story where Jesus is being questioned about his power, about his ability. It has nothing to do with prayer anymore. But Jesus is going to be seen healing a mute individual who is demon-possessed. He's going to heal this person. And the people who witness this healing want to know, hey, by what power, by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus is going to say something that I think many of us will understand. I need you to understand how I am able to do this. It's because of the one who sent me. It's because of the power of our Heavenly Father that I possess as His Son that I am able to speak to demons and they flee. But there's a group of people who, while Jesus has this ministry in Judea, they want to silence Him because their own beliefs, their own religion, their own comfort is being threatened by this man. And they can't have that. They cannot have that. They need to discredit Jesus. So their first idea is, let's just, let's just say that he's doing this by some other power, by some demonic force. That's what's giving him the authority and the ability to do what very few can do. Let's just say that about him. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. No, I'm, I'm not going to allow that because that's not true. And you need to be able to recognize where this power, where, the, where this, this game is coming from. You need to recognize this. Because if you don't, not only will you miss out on the power, but it has eternal ramifications for you. 
And I think for many of us, we, we need to take a breath right now and realize that we approach God with presuppositions. We approach God with preconceived notions of what he is, of who he is, of how we are to engage with him. And Jesus says, here's what I need you to do instead. I need you to come completely open and I need you to come completely vulnerable and humble before the God of the universe because you don't get to put him in a box. You don't get to put me in a box. You need to understand who we are and what we're doing. And and I'll be the first one to tell you this, church. Today, we are going to read a bunch of scripture. We are going to walk through this line by line, just like we do as a church every Sunday. And it's going to take us to the very end. It's going to be the very end where we really start to peel back the layers and unpack the why of this, the what do we do with this. But it's imperative that we do the work. So let's begin the work together right now in Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 20. Here's what it says. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left the man who had been mute, he spoke and that crowd was amazed. Oh my goodness! Jared's talking again. This this is incredible. But some of them, Pharisees, teachers of the law, we we get this from Mark chapter 3. Now, this could be two different occurrences, or this could be Luke referencing something that happened actually quite a ways back. But here's where we go. We know that these are educated people, leaders within the community, and they say this. They say that it's by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that you're driving out demons. That's how you're doing it. That's where your power is coming from. We know it. Your power is demonic. Your power is satanic, and we know it. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Now, verse 16, I want to put that aside because that will be next week. We will come back to this, pick it up, and next week we will see how Jesus addresses those who want a sign. Okay, we'll get that next week, but for now, I want to look at the first one. The power by which you're casting out demons. What they say is, you're doing it through a power that is not of God. Now, church, we are not the only ones who live in a culture, and we do. We live in a culture where an accusation is more than enough to remove someone from power. Okay? Have you not seen that? Maybe you've been a part of that. An accusation is more than enough to remove someone from power. And that's all these religious leaders are trying to do here. Hey, this Jesus, yeah, you want to know how he does what he does? It's through Satan. That's how he's getting his power. I know know that he has shown great things to many of us, but you you just got to know. You got to know where that's coming from. And so they're hurling unfounded accusations at Jesus to try to discredit him in their community so that they may retain their position and their power and their prowess in the community. Unfounded accusations. He's doing this through the power of Satan. And Jesus, thinking quickly on his feet, he goes, okay. Okay, that's what, you, that's what you're saying. That's what you're hurling at me. Here's a four-pronged argument. <laughs> I love it. A four-pronged argument for why what you're saying is ridiculous. Number one, he says this. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Luke chapter 11, 17 and 18. 
Jesus knew their thoughts, knew what they were trying to do, knew how they were trying to sabotage him. And he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? It's a very logical argument. I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. If I'm doing this work against Satan and you're saying that I'm using Satan's power to destroy his own soldiers, your argument makes no logical sense. Why would Satan give me the power to defeat Satan? That cannot be the case. Argument number two. By whom, he asks a question, by whom do your followers then drive out demons? Because there's a whole class of people who make a great living as exorcists within Judea and Galilee. So there's this whole group of people that these religious leaders claim and say have power So if you're saying I drive out demons the same way your guys drive out demons, whose power are they using? It's a great question. Luke chapter 11, verse 19. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, this is huge. So then they will be your judges. Your argument doesn't hold water. You have people who are calling upon the power of God my heavenly father, to drive out demons, and they're successful at doing it. And they, in their success, will point at your honest-to-goodness ignorance to think that I'm driving out demons by some other power, like Satan himself is casting out demons. Their success proves your ignorance, proves your folly, proves that you are simply trying to paint me into a corner and you cannot paint me into a corner. Only God can do what I'm doing. And your own exorcists will attest to that. So your trap doesn't hold water. What are you going to do next? Well, here's a fun fact. For several of these exorcists, a couple decades after this encounter, they'll realize that the name of Jesus has great power. And and they'll actually call upon this name. Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, it says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. So they, they were working in the name of God, but now, years later, they want to invoke the name of Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. There were seven sons of Sceva, chief, a Jewish chief priest. They were doing this. One day the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, I'm aware of him. Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And I share that with you to say this. Where the power lies... Where you see the true power, you will know there is the truth. And Jesus is saying, I have the power of God. There's some within your community that also have the power of God. But to say that I'm doing this through any other power is wrong. It's malicious. 
It shows your heart. It shows your intent. You cannot follow me. You cannot give credit where credit is due. And this is a problem. And then Jesus segues a little bit here for his third argument. If you're wrong, watch out. To the religious leaders, he says, now, here's your opportunity to repent. Here's your opportunity to change course. Because if you're wrong, it comes with huge repercussions. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. But if I drive out demons, this is Jesus speaking, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, if I do it with the power of God, literally the finger point of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now that verb come there is unique because it means to arrive or catch up, to proceed. The kingdom of God has preceded you. It's here. It's already upon you. It's arrived. And if I'm driving out demons in the name of God, with the finger of God, then you need to pay attention. You need to recognize. And if you can't handle my power, if you can't give credit where credit is due, then you are on thin ice. If you can't accept my miracles because you don't want to accept me, you have the problem. This is an issue with your religion and your presuppositions your power, and your pleasure. This has everything to do with you. Now, you may want to try to make me look bad saying that I'm doing this through the power of Satan, but it won't hold water. And when you reject me, I need you to know this because this can be very bad for you. When you reject me, you are rejecting the power of the one who sent me. And specifically, when he refers to that, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. When you say that I'm doing this through someone else's power and not the power of God, whew, you're on thin ice. And it's actually back in Mark chapter 3 when Jesus had a similar encounter. Maybe the one Luke's referring to, maybe a different one, but when the same encounter with Jesus and religious leaders about him casting out demons, here's how it ends in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. I tell you this truth. And and religious leaders, you need to hear that. Church, we need to hear this. I tell you the truth. All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you sent your son that our sins might be forgiven. All of our sins will be forgiven them. But, but, verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, whoever robs the power and the glory from the Holy Spirit, whoever does that will never be forgiven That person is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Now, once again, same scenario. They're telling Jesus that he's capable of driving out evil spirits because he himself has an evil spirit. They are blaspheming. They are belittling the power by which Jesus exercises demons. This church, this one gets very, very real, very, very quick. So I want to read word for word what this means clarifying what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. People need to learn that rejecting Jesus out of ignorance, I just didn't know, that's one thing. But attacking the power by which he works is something far more serious. If one is weak, he can be encouraged. If one is ignorant, he can be informed or taught. These are things that can be overcome, and Jesus gives much grace in these areas. But 
if one is willfully blind, knowing that Jesus is doing this with great power, but unwilling to admit it, willfully blind and deaf and rejects the help, what can be done for that person? Where can God step in there? Because that person doesn't want anything to do with God. So this is where it becomes this unforgivable sin. It's not that any sin is unforgivable. We just read that. It's not. There's nothing that's unforgivable. But when someone says, I don't want anything to do with the power of God, the forgiveness of God, I don't want anything to do with him, then this becomes a huge issue. This person has cut themselves off from what might lead to repentance. The enemy of Jesus has shut their eyes to the truth. They say good is evil in order to turn others away from Jesus. I would never do that. I I believe you. I believe that you never would, but realize what these religious leaders are doing. They are saying good is actually evil so that people will not follow Jesus. That's the context for this. And, And I'm not saying that anyone listening to this today has fallen into that, but that's what this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Hey, this is not good. What, what you're seeing, this power, it cannot be accepted because it is wrong. So when, when we see that, we have to give credit somewhere else. That is the unforgivable state. Because God is willing to forgive every sin. But those who willfully shut themselves off from God's forgiveness, they have committed the unforgivable sin. And what is that? Rejecting the forgiver. Rejecting the glory and the power. Saying, I choose me and my knowledge above that of the one who saves. Jesus actually still has a fourth argument. Like at this point you're going, wow, you should have won by now. (laughs) That's pretty, pretty compelling. But he has a fourth argument. He says, don't mess with the strongest. Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22 When a strong man who's fully armed guards his own house, that house is protected, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, and this is a very strong person, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. This one's very difficult to interpret, okay? As you are reading that, you're like, what is he talking about? He's talking to the religious leaders who have created created for themselves a sense of security that cannot be broken. We know God. We know his Old Testament law. We are religious in the way we live our lives. We are incredible and we cannot be overcome. Then Jesus comes into town, threatens their reality, threatens their livelihood because he's speaking new truth. And they go, we have to cast him out. And Jesus is saying, you're strong. And you've developed a wonderful stance in this community. But when someone stronger comes, and that's me, I'll take what you thought was strong. I'll take it, and I'll leave you with nothing. Because what you thought was strong was not from my father. It was from you. And I know we've been walking now for minutes through this passage, and you're going, where is the joy? Where is the goodness? Well, I have one more final Warning that Jesus gives just to put the cherry on the top to let us know that playing with this game, playing with the power of God, playing with robbing him of what is rightfully his is a very, very dangerous game. He says this in Luke chapter 11, 23 through 26. Whoever is not with me is against me. 
And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever won't accept me, whoever won't be seen with me, they scatter. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left because at least that was good. At least I had a place there. When it arrives, it finds that the house has been swept clean and put in order. Then what it realizes is it can go out and take seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go and they live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Many people have interpreted this verse to describe demon possession. If a demon is cast out of you and you do not replace that demon with the Holy Spirit, then that demon's gonna come back seven times stronger. Many people have read this to mean that. Um, I get it, I get why you would say that, but contextually, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. He's talking to the religious leaders. You had a system of theology that had you at the top. Today, I've broken that. I've cleaned you out. I've, I've stolen your armor. You have nothing left to stand on. You get to choose now how to refill, how to replant your truth. If instead you just go and sweep it up and try to make everything look good for everyone else, here's what's gonna happen. You're going to replace what you had, which was decent. You're gonna replace it with something seven times worse. Because you had an idea of God before and now I come as the son of God and you can't accept me. So you're gonna take something seven times worse and let it move into you. And we know historically that many religious leaders, they had no clue what to do with Jesus. So they lost it. They fell off the deep end. And it still happens to many today. We're raised in the church who think they have a strong armor. It is contested by God himself or by something else. And then that vault is left open. And Jesus goes, I, I, that's where I wanna be. That's my place. But we clean it up and we fill it with knowledge. We fill it with self-righteousness. We fill it with morality. We fill it with things that are seven times worse than what we had before, because at least then we had a form of godliness. What Jesus is saying here makes sense to me, but there's a lot. So let me now summarize. In conclusion, what do we do with this passage? Well, God wants us to know where the power comes from in your life and in mine. He wants us to know that. I think we have to be honest enough to admit that for many of us, we think that power comes from within ourselves, okay? It comes from our own religious acts. If I do what's right long enough, then God will owe me. So that's the power. If I attend church, then, then I'm going to be covered and blessed because that's the power. If, if I simply act as I'm supposed to act, then I will possess the power. And that's what the religious leaders thought. And that's what Jesus came to combat. Because the reality is that power is from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's not from anything that we do. It's a gift. It's grace. We need to be careful when we rob God of the credit that he desires, thinking that we ourselves have been able to navigate life up to this point and bring ourselves to this place ourselves and our own strength. We need to be very careful of that because upon further examination of what caused this to be true, I think many of us will understand it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily us. It was life that led us here and God that 
graciously brought us here. So I ask you, church, just, just today, wherever you're at, will you attribute to God what is his? The religious leaders on this day were not willing to do that. All they had to do was admit that Jesus cast out that demon because of his connection to the Heavenly Father. That's all they had to do, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't give credit where credit was due. And Jesus says, you need to recognize where this power comes from. So I ask you, will you attribute to God what is his? Will you give him the glory that is due? Will you? A lot of us, we cry out to God in our deepest emergency, but we don't give him the glory for our Tuesday for our Wednesday, for this or for that. Will you give God the glory? First Peter 5, 7, we're not gonna read it, but it simply says this, cast your anxieties or burdens upon him because he cares for you. And we've said this multiple times as a church, but whoever carries the burden to the end gets the glory. So when we ask God to come and be for us our strength, we are actually giving him an opportunity to receive the glory, to carry that to completion. Today, as we close, it's, it's very simple. Your salvation is not granted to you because of how good you are, because of what you've done. It's because of the grace of God given to you through his son, Jesus Christ, that because of his death on a cross, his vicarious defeating of death and his resurrection, you, through your faith in him, can have salvation. He gets all the glory. Will you give him that? Will you trust in him for that? Will you today in your prayer understand that when you ask God to move, it's not because of your righteousness that he chooses to move, it's because of his goodness and his grace and his mercy that he chooses to hear your prayer and he unleashes his power in your life so that when you cast that burden upon him, he gets the glory for doing what only he can do. And then what is it? What, what do you need to ask him to do? Jesus got confronted by the top dogs in Judea who wanted to crush him. And in four simple arguments, he showed them, not only is he Lord, but for those who want to choose to receive the power themselves, they are on very thin ice. I ask you today, church, will you give God the glory that is due him? Will you humble yourself and choose to trust in his power, not your own? Will you believe that he loves you enough just the way you are, that you do not have to be perfect, you do not have to be religious enough, that he wants to move and act in accordance with your desires so that he, he might receive the glory. Will you pray that? Will you trust that? Will you believe that? Will you today surrender to your heavenly father, his son Jesus, and the power of his Holy Spirit? Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to do just that, that we would not desire anything other than what it is you have given us, that we would give you the glory for who you are and what you've done, and that we would not rob you of your power, nor would we fail to see that power unleashed in our lives as we humbly come before you and ask you to move. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We thank you for your salvation. It's in your name we pray.